I'm Steve Serbis, and this is the Art of Fitness. Marcus is a 32-year-old athlete from Mill Valley, California. He is team captain of the Phoenix Rise for the National Pro Grid League, a six-time CrossFit Games athlete, the coach and owner of Revival Strength, and he is the founder and owner of Revive RX, which is Marcus's nutritional supplement company. Marcus reminds me of a monk, a very fit monk with great hair. No better way to put it. He, at a very early age, an age when most turn to more destructive means to cope with apprehension and loneliness, um, he set expectation aside, followed his instincts. At the time of this interview, he was a soon-to-be father, but he and his wife has since had a new baby girl, and from what I learned from this conversation with Marcus, she is going to be one lucky lady. Before we get into my conversation with Marcus, let's go to the question of the day. Sue B. writes, how do I get stronger? I've been on a plateau for what feels like forever. Um... Well, Sue, I don't know the ins and outs of this situation, but if you're stuck at a certain load uh, for a lift or for all of your lifts, to me, it boils down to two things. One, your form is suspect, or two, your programming is suspect. Um, I could talk about this for hours, so I'll just leave it with these two bits of advice. First, go back to the basics. And practice your lifts. This is different than training your lifts. Practice for proper movement execution. Um, And second, simplify your program. Simplify your strength program. Get someone to do a simple program for you based on percentages of your one rep maxes. And more so, you need to believe in that program. And you need to follow that program. And if you do that, I guarantee you'll break through a sticking point. Often, what seems to happen is people aren't feeling that strength increase happen on their strength programs. So they they begin searching around. Well, how come this person is adding 10 pounds to their lifts in three months and I've only added five? I should be doing what they're doing. Well, This will give you diminishing returns. Find a simple program. Find somebody to do it for you. Don't do it by yourself. Even if you're capable of doing it by yourself, it's always better to have somebody else program for you. I'll get into that on another day. But follow that program and believe in it. And if you do those two things, then you will definitely break through the plateau that Seems like you've been stuck in forever. Um, Sue, I hope that answers your question. And uh, write back and let me know how you do. But try to apply those two principles. 
Now back to Marcus Philly. Things I'd like you to listen for in this episode. Uh, I mean, really, Marcus and I get into so much in this episode that I'm looking at my notes here and there's just too much to choose from. So I'll just let this conversation speak for itself and let's go to my conversation with Marcus Philly. Marcus Philly, you there? Yes, I am. Hey, Steve, how you doing? Hey, Marcus, how's it going, man? It's going great. Happy anniversary, dude. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for noticing and thanks for saying that, yeah. One year in the bag? One year. My wife and I got married on 1-16-16. So it was, a, it was a special, special benchmark for us to hit that one year. And yeah, we celebrated a little bit this weekend and the previous weekend. Congratulations. My wife, my wife and I are going on 17. Oh, and, man. And I'm telling you, you get past the first one, uh, they just keep on getting better. So. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, congrats um, to you guys, man. That's, that, that's terrific. Yeah, it's, a, it's, uh, it's funny how fast time flies, you know, and uh, it doesn't feel like that. I, we feel like kids still. It's, sure. it's a strange, it's a strange uh, evolution. What, did you guys get married at, like, 16? I mean, what's... No, we got married at 25. Thank you very much. We got married at uh, at 25, right out yeah. of grad school, and um, and it's just been awesome ever since. But uh, you also do you is do you have an addition to your family? We are we have a soon to be addition to the family. Yes, soon to be. She is. Uh, she feels like a a very big part already. She's she's kicking and moving a lot, and we're uh, yeah we're expecting. Um, kind of mid-February, so that's right around the corner for us, too. Wow, that's a really exciting time. So you have a baby girl coming. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Um, that's another thing that is, um, you know, it's just one of those things where y- y- it's very temporary. Everything is temporary. Mm-hmm. Um, so hold on to the good and the bad. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, you know, it's but it's just one of those things where you don't feel as though you're capable of loving so much and Mm -hmm. uh, it surprises you every day. So congratulations on that as well, man. You're in for, for quite a treat. Oh, I am certainly looking forward to it more and more as it, as it uh, gets closer and closer. I bet it's going to, it's going to be fantastic for you guys. Um, So tell me Marcus, because this is such an interesting thing that I didn't know about you, but, but let's go back and, to your early 20s and uh tell me about your time at the ashram you spent five weeks in an ashram yeah yeah um my early 20s were pretty much um about me trying to sort of discover discover a different side of who i was i think i had i'd spent most of my you know uh teenage years and then um well, the earliest part of my 20s, like when, so high school and college, just really being an athlete and being a, you know, a student. And those were my identities. And I was good at both things. I was, I was a good student. I was a good athlete. And I played college sports and, you know, put a lot of energy and time into graduating with a, um, you know, a degree in molecular science. And uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty much everything that I, I thought I stood for, and and then you know, and I when I wrapped up my undergraduate, I was, you know, I would say I was bordering on you know some some depression, um, kind of 
feeling a little lost and feeling like, man, I, I just did all this stuff that a lot of people are proud of me for, but I'm not even sure if that's, it really makes me feel <laughs> connected with who I am. You know, I'm like, I'm kind of lost here. I don't know who I am and what I'm about. And I think that was kind of what drove me to, you know, do some spiritual uh, learning and, and kind of education and awakening. Um, so yeah, I, I bounced around from, you know, spiritual teacher to spiritual teacher. I got connected with a group that was based out of Colorado and um, I attended a handful of, uh, you know, week-long intensive retreats where you're meditating for, you know, five hours plus a day, um, you know, days in silence, uh, you know, eating a strict vegetarian diet, uh, yeah. wearing all white all day, sure. um, you know, a lot of love, a lot of, you know, heart opening and... Um, yeah, and then and then I just got so into the process um, that I wanted to go immerse myself in kind of the their little their 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 spiritual center, which was in um, Colorado, and it was a you know a small little ashram that was at the foothills of some just incredibly majestic mountains and natural uh, kind of settings. And I lived there for five weeks, and it was uh, every day was wake up at basically five in the morning, meditate. Uh, go have breakfast in silence. We always ate in silence. Then it was doing uh, seva or like basically your your service for the for the day. And I did things from cook lunch to uh, doing some, um, you know, kind of like manual stuff because I was one of the more fit people. Sure. Um, you know, and and then we'd meditate in the evening and and yeah, go on little hikes and things like that. So I did that for five weeks. It was pretty. Uh, it was pretty groundbreaking for me, and it was, it was honestly, it was amidst the same time I was applying to medical school. So it was like I went from the ashram for five weeks, flew to UC San Diego, and did a medical school interview the next week. It was, it was kind of a strange time for me, but yeah. I learned so much. You know, in the grand scheme of things, when we talk about our our daily hustle, and you know, five weeks doesn't sound like a lot, but I imagine that that five weeks felt a lot longer than that. Yeah. Well, I, I imagine if I did that today, it would feel, I mean, it's it's quite the departure from my current lifestyle and my current rhythm. Um, while I've brought many of those like lessons and teachings and practices into my life now, uh, you know, when I was 22, I think at the time when it when I did that, I was, you know, I just finished college. I was living at home with my parents. I was basically in a two-year transitional period between undergraduate and medical school. And so my list of responsibilities was, you know, nothing compared to what it is today and nothing compared to what it'll be in two, you know, two months when I have a baby. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's certainly, I was living a pretty slow paced life at the time because I, my body and my mind and my heart just needed it. I was, sure. you know, I was fast paced for, for what felt like eight years through high school and college and, um, and it got me to a place where I was questioning what I was doing. So I was like, I need to slow down. And so it was really in alignment with my, you know, just who I was at the time. And it, it and I didn't just, I didn't just go from zero to 60, like, uh, overnight. I, I kind of, like I said, I, I'd gone to like the week long intensive retreat. I had right. gone to the, you know, the weekend seminar first. And then slowly I was like, I felt so embraced by this community. I could live this lifestyle. I was like, you know, go live for a month, you know, right. five weeks at this ashram. That's, that sounds right to me. You know, I've gone through two, um, I, I can name two points in my life where 
I, I had an awakening. One, I was shooting a film in Nigeria. I was only there for 10 days. Mm-hmm. But by not talking to anybody and being immersed in a culture that was just so far removed from my own, mm-hmm. um, brought some things up that made me evolve in, in those 10 days. Um, I really enjoy going on survival at least once a year now, now that I have two children. But before that, you know, it used to be a couple times a year where, you know, I'd go into the woods for three days um, with very minimal things, you know, a knife, maybe something to start a fire with. But mm-hmm. those moments are like hitting the fast forward button on self-discovery. Mm. And can you tell me something like, wh- tell me you went in on week one. I know you did the intensives, but... You went in on week one. You came out on week five. Tell me how you changed because there's something that you were in your early 20s. Most people, I think most men, and this is a broad generalization, mm. go through sort of like a second puberty in their early 20s. And it's, <laughs> a, it's a mental and spiritual um, point of, of departure from what you were to what you need to be. And Mm -hmm. that brings depression on a lot, I feel. Mm. However, I think a lot of people turn to other things, drugs, sex, alcohol. It says a lot about you that you turned inwardly and went on this spiritual journey. And Mm. so week one, you go in as Marcus Philly, the overwhelmed athlete, um, molecular biology student. Is that right? Yeah, and, that's correct. Yeah, and then and then you come out five weeks later, um, of living this intense inward um, coming to grips with your essence. Mm-hmm. How did that feel? What was that like coming out? How did you change? Oh man, gosh, I was just like listening really deeply to what you're saying and putting myself back in that part of my life. You know, it's mm-hmm. been a long time since I connected with that phase of, uh, and, and those, you know, different choices I was making at the time. Um, you know, I think, I think a couple of things were happening for me during that period of time. I was one, I was actually, I was, if I, if I'm honest with my myself and with other people, you know, I was, I was very motivated to do different stuff. Like I, you know, I wanted to be different, unique, do the things that the people around me, you know, were not doing just yeah. almost for the sake of like, I'm going to do this because nobody else is doing this. And, right. um, it was a way I think for me to, I don't know, regain something that felt like it was, um, that made me special or made me unique, you know, and maybe it was misguided in a, in a way like, uh, I just want to be the, I want to be the person amongst my friends and amongst the people that I know that spent the time to go and, you know, vision, you know, live in an ashram. I want to be the person that went and traveled through Southeast Asia for four months when nobody else I knew did something like that, you know? And it was like, I, I wanted to have a, a different identity that made me feel unique. And, um, uh, but in the process of pursuing that, there was also this hint of like I needed to discover a little bit more about who I was. And I'm really, you know, I, I'm grateful for the fact that I had pursued some of these sort of fringe 
activities or fringe, uh, you know, pursuits because it, you know, once you're at the ashram, I don't care if you're just like trying to check the box to go live there. Like yeah. you got to live there like, <laughs> yeah, right. and they're not going to let you talk during meals and you're going to respect the, the practices that are happening there. And, you know, I was really drawn to the, the teachings that were happening. Um, I was drawn to how it made me feel because uh, every time I would go to a retreat or I would go to an intensive, you know, week long course or spend time, it was so uncomfortable. I mean, mm. every time it was uncomfortable. I, I would go with this open mind and open heart and I would kind of contract and get, you know, tense and almost angry. And, and then at some point I would have a, a breakdown where it would just like the emotions would just be overwhelming and, mm -hmm. you know, cr you know, whether it was crying or fit of anger or whatever it was, something would happen and there would be a shift and a transformation that would take place. And it was consistent every time. I remember the first time I was like, in tears at a week week long uh, retreat, and I was like, I don't want to be here. And then, you know, the moment that happened, and I got that out of my system, it was like, just these, I started to see new parts of who I was and the people that were around me. And and that was what I was ready for. By the time I had gone and lived there, was I knew I knew I was going into something that wasn't going to be easy. And uh, and I was just open to when that would what that would feel like coming out the other side. So, um, yeah, arriving. I had had some experiences. I knew sort of the culture a little bit of how things went. You know, it wasn't like the first time somebody said to me, you know, you know, spoken Hindi to me or something like that, where I was like, Wait, what are you, what are you saying? What does that mean? You know, uh, it wasn't the first time I had chanted. It wasn't the first time I had like, you know, dan done ecstatic dance. Like, so these things weren't like shocking me at the time. It was like, I was comfortable with it and it didn't matter how comfortable I was. You know, I went in knowing that there was something that was going to come out on the, on the other end for me. And um, yeah, I think about two, three weeks in, I, I hit like a very frustrating time where I was getting angry at the people around me. And I felt like there were people there that were like challenging, like were trying to get in the way of me having my own experience. And, you know, it was, it was how it was supposed to go for me. So it was uh, for me coming out the other end of that um, time was you know, a change in kind of how I connected with the people around me and um, looking at people through this lens of like, you know, a big open heart and with love and, um, you know, knowing that whenever I found co confrontation or, or anger or some um, friction with another person, that that was, that was a, that was a teaching opportunity. It was a lesson to be learned on what, what was triggered for me, you know, like never blame that person for what is getting stirred up inside of you. You know, right. what, whatever they're doing is, is triggering something that's deeper in me that I maybe haven't been aware of. And thank you for being this reflection of this part of me that I've, you know, been ignoring for so long that I need to kind of get connected with. And um, I do recall that I went, you know, I went from, like I said, I went from Colorado on a, on a plane to San Diego, my buddy from college picked me up. I stayed at his house with him and his girlfriend, both who I had been friends with in college. And I was like, of course, in this blissed out, like kind of hippie, you know, state, like, you know, love this. Oh, it's just everything's, you know, and, and I was like, the way I was interacting with him, it was almost too much for him. He was like, what is wrong with you, man? But I was, I was in such a good place, you know, and it was, it was pretty magical. You know, I think we lose, 
in this culture, rite of passage. And the mm-hmm. fact that you gave yourself one before moving on, um, you know, it's pretty great. Oh, gosh. I mean, well, you know, certainly with the baby coming and, you know, hearing people say things like, oh, well, you got to take your time now because you're not going to have it, you know, go for a little weekend getaway and, you know, do some of these things for yourself. Uh, there is that with, with all these big life changes that happen, you know, the opportunity for taking, you know, time to, to learn about yourself shrinks and shrinks and shrinks, or it can, you know, you can feel compelled to just overlook yourself and focus on all the stuff that's around you. And, um, that's, that was, that pressure was even there, you know, in my early twenties was like, okay, I just graduated, uh, undergrad. Let's get into medical school. Let's start right away. You know, the, the notion of taking a year off before medical school was like, whoa, you're different. Like Berkeley students didn't do that. (laughs) You know, everyone was on the fast track and then let alone taking two years off. Uh, so, you know, and then, so I'm, I'm, you know, I look back on that time and I'm like, there's no, there's, there's no regrets for any choice I made to put things off and, you know, invest into myself a bit more before rushing into things. Even though at the time it felt like, should I just be in, I should probably be in school right now. I should already be working on my degree. Why am I, you know, is, is this the right thing? And yeah. 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 Shoulds. Shoulds. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they'll kill you. <laughs> They'll put you in a prison. Should should I? Shouldn't I? Shouldn't I? Shouldn't I? Yeah. Um, let's talk about the essence of being fit. This is what really makes me feel a kinship to you. Please talk to me about what it means to you when you say the essence of being fit and and the revival of the fittest. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, fitness for me w- was. Uh, and has been an essential part to balancing out that other side of my, you know, brain and my being that was, you know, the, the medical student, the, 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 uh, kind of cerebral person, the Mm -hmm. go, 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 want to achieve, you know, like fitness, um, was something that always brought me into the, into the present, into the moment, um, it was my it was my first it, it was my first and continues to be my my form of uh an exposure to meditation um i did that when i was you know when i was young like i i just was 13 14 years old and i wanted to go and just run down to the high school and bring my jump rope and do jump rope and you know uh run up the stadium stairs and do push-ups and and just be with myself. And I didn't, I didn't even have a Walkman at the time. Like there was no way to listen to music. I didn't have friends that joined me. Um, it was just me doing my, uh, you know, figuring out kind of where my limits were, um, I guess, physiologically, but also mentally and emotionally. And so fitness is fitness for me, I, I think has from an early age, you know, and for really the better part of the last two decades for me is, um, you know, been a connection to who I am on a deep, on a deeper level. And that to me is like, you know, something that I try and I I'm realizing over the years of being a coach and being an athlete, that that is something that I want to share with other people the most, Mm. you know, I don't necessarily need to share, you know, like it's, it's not my, my, my motivation to get somebody, you know, stronger, 
like a better back squat number, right? In the process of getting a better back squat and connecting to, you know, how their body moves and their fitness and their limits and how their life interplays with their goals, physical goals in the gym, you know, and, and learning about that, I, I feel like that therein lies like the power of fitness and coaching and, and training is like it, elevating your awareness of you as a person in your life and how you interact with the people around you. So, um, you know, Re- Revival of the Fittest was, uh, it was a tagline that, you know, I, I um, early on when I started a supplement company, Revive RX, I, I, you know, Revival of the Fittest is obviously a play on survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in this, in this day and age, like we're not, we're not necessarily trying to survive anymore. We're just actually trying to get in touch with those, uh, in, in, in a way, like rediscover and reawaken that sense of like, well, being fit um, is a path to potentially a better life and to, you know, uh, a better understanding of yourself or being able to protect yourself better. And, and the way you protect yourself now is so different than it was in, you know, hunter-gatherer times. But, um, yeah, re- re- reviving that in, in, my, in myself and reviving that in others is, uh, it's been a mission, certainly, that I've been on as a coach and uh, when I became a gym owner. And this really underlies kind of the core uh, value that I placed on, you know, fitness coaching and, and the fitness profession. Have you, um, have you ever read the Hagakuri? I have not. Okay, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to um, give you a rundown of what that book is, but I, I, I recommend it. It's a, it's a neat read. It's a um, <laughs> neat read. <laughs> it's a, uh, <laughs> that's a good. That that's a big sell. That's got to get on the uh, cover of that <laughs> yeah. book. It's yeah, yeah. a neat read. <laughs> it's a neat read, Marcus. You should pick it up. No, it's <laughs> it translates um, hidden under the leaves, and it's written by. Uh, a samurai um, that was living right when feudalism was was being um, dismantled. So mm-hmm. here you have a man who had trained his whole life to die for his master, and then all of a sudden they took their they took their swords away. So what do you do with all of this knowledge? He he writes. A series of passages and a series of um, of recollections, but what's great about it is it comes down to, and the reason why I bring it up and hearing you talk about the essence of being fit is it comes down to this idea of physical training and training for war as a means to shut off the mind, and there's this concept in um in bushido called mushin which translates no mind right or without mind Hmm. the idea that you train so hard that you become the movement and um you know i couldn't agree with you more that that training is a form of meditation and it's uh it's a means to self-discovery and Mm -hmm. i i love when you write you know the essence of being fit and you talk about the revival of the of the fittest it's a play on survival of the fittest but you know it for me that word reminded me of spiritual revival and Mm -hmm. you know i just um i i really appreciate your take on on how you 
handle your gym and how you handle yourself and how you handle your your um, your clients. Uh, you know, just from what I've read, I, I can just imagine the type of place that you created. And uh, I just want to give you a, a remote high five on that. Remote high five accepted. Thank all you. Right, all right, man. <laughs> um, are, are you ready for the questionnaire? Are you ready to do yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Sure. Let's do it. All right, Marcus, let's get going. Section one, how many meals do you consume in a day? Um, I, I consume about five meals, give or take some shakes in there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And in, in percentages of fat, protein, and carbohydrate, what is your macronutrient breakdown? Or does it change with the time of day? Does it change with training? Do you not measure... Um, I definitely measure uh, this, the core meals of my day. You know, let's say there's three core meals. I, I measure and, and ensure that I'm getting, um, you know, a pretty much a, a, a one-third, one-third, one-third balance of protein, fat, and carbohydrates. Uh, mm -hmm. When the, the areas that I might fluctuate a little bit are some of those, that, that fourth and fifth meal and some of the shakes that happen in between, and those are going to um, the, the macronutrient breakdown of those will change based upon uh, the training and the you know the phase of training that I'm in. Um, I've found personally that with my you know with with higher volume um, phases of my training that I do I do better when I ensure that my carbohydrate intake is you know above 350 grams a day mm -hmm. and you know i'm probably in the two to two 200 to 230 grams of protein a day uh category and then fat is somewhere around 100 to 120 uh 25 grams a day so um definitely skewed a little bit more towards um carb carbohydrates uh just as a percentage of my total intake but again, I, 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 I think of all, I almost think of that as like, you know, I'm supplementing carbohydrates during those high training phases and that my meals themselves, like the, the, the core meals of my day are relatively balanced because that is what promotes the best digestion and, um, uh, for, for, for me. Right. So you're treating supplements like, um, how they were intended to be. You're, you're supplementing a, a well-balanced diet with a little extra of what you need in order to get through your training. Right. Like for example, uh, you know, breakfast is, let's say oats, eggs, bacon, you know, and some fruit, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, lunch and dinner or the other core meals might be some, uh, white rice and some, um, you know, veggies cooked roast veggies with, you know, steak or chicken or something like that. But then for, so that's my three core meals and they're relatively balanced and consistent. Like I don't change those very much. Um, again, I like to, to promote consistency in my eating schedule um, so that my digestion maintains a lot of consistency as well. And I'm absorbing, you know, optimal nutrients from that stuff. But then I had a hard training day, so I might make, you know, a pre-bed snack where on a day where it was really high training volume, I might add in a cup of, you know, dry oats, you know, and some protein powder, um, to go along with, uh, you know, I don't know, some, some nut butter, maybe a couple more pieces of bacon, but I'm looking at that nighttime meal. I was like, okay, I, 
I probably des I, I need a little bit more carbohydrate to ensure I get a good night's sleep and to ensure I wake up feeling good. So I'm using like, I, in that way, I'm using food as supplementation. Like I'm supplementing that particular day with more carbs that night. Whereas another night where it's like a non-training day or, or the training was different um, and I'm not feeling as depleted, you know, I might, I might skip those extra oats or something like that. Gotcha. And how much time do you take? You, you talked about digestion. How much time do you take in between eating and training? Um, yeah. So on a typical day, like breakfast will happen, you know, between seven and eight o'clock. And then I won't probably get to my first training session until nine, nine thirty or maybe 10 sometimes later. If it doesn't happen until like 11 or noon, I might have a little extra small snack. But um, I do like to go into kind of my first training session relatively, uh, uh, you know, fasted or on an empty stomach. So get a couple hours, two to three hours. Um, but also the way my training is broken up in a day is I'll do an, a, a, a part one session, which is, you know, mainly focused around aerobic training. So a lot of breathing work and blood flow work. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then that will then transition into an hour to two hours later, you know, a, a more complex training uh, session that involves, you know, weight training, uh, accessory work, uh, you know, higher intensity conditioning pieces, maybe some more aerobic training at the end. And those will last two to three hours. My, my, my part one sessions are typically a 60 minute session. So I won't. I won't typically eat a meal between those sessions. So I might have liquid nutrition. So I end up going, you know, several, several hours um, without, you know, so solid food. And that is a big, uh, a big thing for me because I don't like, you know, I, I, I don't like training with certainly doing a lot of weight training or, or maybe higher intensity, you know, intervals where I'm moving my body a lot. If I have something in my gut, it doesn't feel great, and I don't think I can perform as well. You touched on this a little bit, but how often do you train a day? Um, like now we are pre-open, and I'm assuming that you're not training for the open in particular, but um, how, how often are you training a day at this point right now in, in your year? Just twice a day, yeah. Twice a it, day. It's, it's like that almost the entire year, you know. Now the... the the, the duration of each of those sessions changes, um, but yeah, it's usually twice a day. The only time it goes to a three time a day situation would be uh, if I'm if I make the CrossFit Games and I'm training, you know, in June, uh, pr preparing for three, you know, three events a day would be so. So then the actual training sessions get quite short. It, it would literally be, you know, part one, five rounds for time. You know, part two, you know, swim 30-minute open water. Part three, you know, uh, for time, some chipper, right? And that's a day of, that's a day of training. So it very much simulates um, what I might be getting into. But, you know, training sessions, you know, throughout the year are, mult, are very complex, you know, multi-part sessions, which many people are doing these days and they're familiar with. But, you know, I might go in, my, my part two session for the day will have, you know, a skill-based maybe warm-up or some accessory lifts, then I'm doing some Olympic lifts, then I'm doing, you know, five sets of gymnastics, then I'm doing, you know, uh, intervals. Um, 
And so someone might look at that as like four workouts, but it's really just one long training session. Gotcha. Um, so you make it through the open, you go to regionals and you make it to the CrossFit games. How, how does your training change at each one of those different phases? What do you bring in? What do you drop? Um, so let's talk about the off season, right? So, so your post CrossFit games, mm -hmm. I'm just going to give you a hypothetical day rest. You may not take it, but <laughs> you're back in the gym after the CrossFit games. Uh huh. <coughs> what does this phase look like? And leading up to the open, how does it change? Just briefly, you know, you don't have to give us the, the entire rundown on your entire year, but yeah. Um, well, in this particular year, I had about a week off before I started grid season, so that was a whole nother. Uh... That's right. I apologize for not. <laughs> no, that's all right. It was yet. just it's um it it it's becoming an interesting you know t uh, scheduling kind of challenge because you know you try and period I try and periodize. Excuse me. My coach helps me to periodize my year, and he is. I mean, we're, we we make plans that are year-long plans. So everything is very, very um, scripted from the yeah. beginning to whenever the end is going to be. And, uh, you know, hopefully the end is either the CrossFit Games. You know, it's we look out far enough and we plan accordingly. But, yeah, I, I have uh, something that's important for me to share with people and listeners is that I am not afraid of taking rest days. I, I know a lot of athletes and my competitors that – they don't like taking rest days. They need to train. I mean, I'm not going to play the age card because there's plenty of older athletes out there that train every day too. But I mean, at 32, I realized even at like 27 or 28 that, you know, I don't really do great by hitting intensity often. Like my, my you know, it's a, it's a delicate balance for me. And if I can stay feeling strong and healthy and confident, that trumps putting in more hours and hours and hours in the gym for me. So after the games, uh, I'll take a week and do nothing, you know, right. maybe more. Right. Uh, and I'll feel really good about it. I don't, I don't even have a, a worry in the world that I'm losing ground to somebody. Um, I've just gone through enough downtime in training to see the payoff for me on the back end of it. If I really allow myself to rest and recover. Uh, so yes, back to your, back to your question. What does it look like getting back into the gym? Let's say I didn't have grid season. You know, back into the gym is healing. It's like the first month to two months is what type of training uh, schedule will promote you know hormonal healing, energetic you know balance res restoration for me, and structural balance and restoration. At the end of any part of the season, there are going to be um, aches and pains and things that just aren't optimal. If you're maintaining perfect positions and perfect, you know, range of motion and length tension relationships in your muscles and, you know, you're just like this, then you're not training intensely and hard enough for the games. Nobody finishes the games and is like, yeah, I feel perfect. You know, I maintained everything well. It's like, no, you're, you're beat up, so beat up. And if you don't take the time to, you know, recover that, and try and get back to what I would just call a baseline for yourself, 
then the yeah. next year is only going to put you deeper into a hole and the next year is going to put you deeper into a hole. And then on that fourth year or third or fourth year, you're going to blow something out or you're going to have to take a year off or you're going to have to, you know, you won't qualify or you won't do as well. I mean, you see it happening. There's these cycles for certain athletes where, you know, a couple good years, then a bad year, a couple good years, bad year. And, and I, I believe it's, you know, probably associated with that post-season or off-season uh, period of time and how do you really manage getting yourself back to baseline for you yeah you've been to the games six times three times as an um in a team three times as an individual mm -hmm. when was your first year there marcus 2010 2010 all right so from 2010 to 2016 mm -hmm. you finished 12th and 16 correct that's correct. Yeah. Um, how has the, how has the CrossFit Games evolved um, uh, in terms of intensity? One, but two, and what I'm really looking for is the field. When you look from right to left at your competitors, go back to 2010 to now, and briefly tell me how it's evolved. So. The qualification process of getting to the CrossFit Games was different. I mean, you could just sign up for for sectionals. You could, um, I think, we sent a team to regionals without, I mean, literally by just sending in a check. And uh, <laughs> no, we. I mean, we didn't have to qualify. Um, oh, as the team for a team. The team to go to regionals. <laughs> no, yeah, you had to qualify as an individual to go to regionals through a local sectional uh, qualifier. Right. Um, but even that you just signed up to go to, it wasn't, you know, that's, it was like signing up for the open. Anybody could do it. Um, so, you know, at the games, I mean, the teams that made it there did have to qualify through some, you know, avenue, but it was huge disparities between, uh, you know, the top teams and the bottom teams, like the bottom teams, um, and not to take anything away from them, they earned their their spot to be there at the time. But you know, it was just you had a, you had probably ten teams that were really competitive for the top, and the other, however many other teams that were there at the time, were just there having a good time, and they weren't really, you know, the essence of what the CrossFit team looks like now. Um, and so, yeah, the the strength of of, of the field has grown tremendously over the years with the qualification steps that have been put into place. Um, you know, it's now more of a, uh, it, it seems like more of a, a, a promotable and I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but like a sellable product, you know, the CrossFit games. I mean, everyone's wearing uniforms that are coordinated. It looks very professional. Um, as opposed to 2010, I mean, you 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 got to wear your own. Uh, we all had our own uniforms. Like I remember my gym, we made our own like Nike tank top, like with our gym name on it. And um, yeah. I was wearing like a Nike top with Under Armour shorts, and I had like you know I, I was just whatever you know. We all looked kind of different, so there were some teams that took that more seriously, others that did not. It, it had a little bit more of the. Uh, you know, just local fitness competition feel to it. Right. Um, and then, you know, from a, from a, as a competitor, you know, if you, if, 
if you feel like you want to go into a competition and feel like everyone's on a level playing field and that we're all getting kind of the same treatment and that everyone has the same, uh, you know, chance of performing at their best as the next person. Well, that has gotten so much better over the years. I mean, in, in the first year, you know, they, the CrossFit Games was learning, you know, the, they were learning how to run an event. They were learning how to do something on a scale as big as it was. It was the first year at the Home Depot Center. Um, so they had just left the Romas and now we're on a bigger venue. And I remember there were events where my team showed up for warm up at the time we were scheduled to warm up and they said, Oh, you guys are on in five minutes. Yeah. And I didn't get to warm up, you know, it was like go, go do a max deadlift. And I hadn't even touched the barbell. So, right. you know, that didn't really feel like we, we would have complaints and we would all feel like we got cheated a little bit. And, you know, that was just unfortunate, uh, unfortunately part of the process at the time. And now, you know, that doesn't happen. It's, it runs like a well-oiled machine. You know exactly where you're going to be at what time. Um, yeah, the events are unknown, but that's, that's the sport. Um, but, you know, you're never going to be like told, okay, you actually don't have any time to warm up. Right. You know, everyone's going to have the same sort of, uh, you know, disadvantage. Um, unless, of course, you know, the people. And then, of course, the people that are in the top heats, they, they get the advantage of having more rest because they, you know, place better and, you, they get to wait while you guys go out and you know do the event. So, sure, those are definitely the the kind of the big things that stand out to me. Section number two, Marcus. Mm -hmm. How would you describe your state of mind in training? Yeah, in training, I'm I um I really just am focused on what can I what can I get um out of myself today in this session. You know, I, I really try and leave my thoughts about what, what is my absolute physical best, um, out of, out of the gym. Uh, yeah, periodically I'll be lifting weights and I'm like, oh, I'm getting kind of close to a max or I'm getting kind of close to what I've done before. So it's, I can't avoid those thoughts that maybe pop up, but I'm just looking at like, how do I get a lot of quality out of this particular, you know, training session that I'm doing right now and what would be, uh, you know, what would feel like a win for today is often just putting in, you know, some good work, uh, you know, pushing myself, but not ever really pushing myself to my absolute limit. I, I, I try and stay, you know, outside of that 100% range most of the time when I'm training because I know that I'll be able to come back the next day and and do it do it again um, better if I if I avoid those you know high high end uh, kind of zones. Mm -hmm. And if you can liken your mental state in competition to a type of organic or inorganic substance, what would it be and why? Yeah, I, I think I think something like w water kind of would resonate with that <clears throat> competitive mental state. It's like, it's got to be, you know, like maybe water flowing down a, a river. There's going to be parts that are going to be going slow and you need to kind of be, you know, aware of what's happening around you and, you know, take a moment to check in with myself. And then there's going to be parts that are like a waterfall where it's like going, you know, sh shutting off my brain and just, you know, trusting what I set out to do and, and letting things kind of fall 
at high speeds how they're supposed to. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, f- flow is a big part of the competitive uh, mindset is being able to adapt and flow and, you know, adjust and, and find ways around the boulders and, you know, all the things that water down a stream has to do. Uh, yeah, because things are changing constantly in competition within events, between events, over the course of a weekend, you have to be kind of able to morph and adapt to different, you know, environments and physical conditions. And, um, yeah, I just, I just, maybe that, that, that feels like water to me. Mm -hmm. Imagine this scenario. You're holding a baby in your right arm and a cooler in your left. In the cooler, there's a vital organ to be delivered to a loved one in need. You come to a canyon. The only way across is via a zip line. Mm-hmm. You need one of your hands to go over this zip line. <laughs> what do you put down and what do you take with you? Um, I, uh, I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm pretty confident regardless of what this zip line situation looks like that I could definitely hold both and still make it across. <laughs> like when I take groceries out of my car back up to upstairs, I can get like 10 bags and still close the door and still get my keys and open the, open the door. So, I mean, a cooler and a baby, it's like, I'm set. I could, they're both coming with me because I'm not giving up either one. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you, this is that one is slowly becoming my favorite question. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you know, I, I I won't get into why, but it, it is that was a great answer. Um, <laughs> number four. So a, a news broadcast just reports that the Earth is going to be struck by an asteroid the size of our moon. Oh. Officials have known about it for some time. We've just learned about it, but the asteroid is predicted to hit within 24 hours. Oh. There's no way around it. This will mean a certain end for our planet. How does Marcus Philly spend his last 24 hours? Hmm. Gosh, that's like, that's like just terrifying to think about, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm going to probably just, uh, I don't just, I mean, whatever family I have that's within, you know, my area, which is a good number of people. I mean, I got my parents and my brother, my wife and my cousin, some people that live real close and I see them on a regular basis. I just probably just go right to them. You know, like there's nothing I need to go do and experience, you know, I just need to, in in those last 24 hours, I don't, um, yeah, there's, there's nothing probably as meaningful as just like being, I don't know, close with those like people I love. Um, and yeah, just that, that would probably be the most comforting and, and enjoyable thing I could possibly think to do. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Great. This is a two-part question. When is it essential to lie? And when is it deplorable to tell the truth? Hmm. I think in, I, for me, like honesty has always been uh, it's been something that over the course of my life, if I look back on some of the most traumatic experiences that ever happened to me, it was when I, I got, I got a little bit too far away from 
honesty as like a core a core value mm. you know and that ne- that doesn't necessarily mean telling a lie uh but just not being truthful with myself or not being um not allowing my truth to kind of come forward like masking it so you know telling the the truth uh is uh, yeah and 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 not or not lying to myself or you know this this value of honesty um i i i can't think of too many situations where that would not be uh, or, or in my life has not been the best course of action, you know? So when would it make sense to lie or when is it, you know, essential or important to lie or when is it, you know, when would it be deplorable to tell the truth? Um, it's hard for me to think in those terms just because it, it doesn't resonate with kind of some, like my core, my core beliefs, um, about honesty. And yeah, I, I think I could probably you know, come up with some examples if I thought about it long enough where being honest with myself and being, you know, honest with like, uh, you know, what's of the highest importance and value to me might involve, you know, shielding somebody from the truth, which in essence is like lying to them. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's too hard for me to think of on the spot. Okay. Who in history, either real or fictional character, would you describe as resilient and why that person? Hmm. Man. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna, I think I might pass on this one just cause I'm not, I don't have a really good one that sticks out to me. Um, okay. but I will say that, uh, resilience is a characteristic in people that I take definitely take note of um, because you know I think that the tools and the things that allow people to be resilient are the tools and some of the the, the things I, I I think teaching people about you know it's that revival of the fittest it's uh, you know reconnecting with people with what with the tools that they have to be resilient um, actually now I'll come to think of it you know I've been listening um, to some of Wim Wim Hof's material that's out there, I don't, I'm sure, maybe you've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. Are you yeah, doing? Are you doing man. his? I uh, do. I, I do. I do the cold showers, and um, you know, I practice some of his breathing methods. But um, yeah, hearing his story, uh, just as somebody who's kind of come into my focus lately, kind it, of tragic, it, right? Yeah. Very, I mean, well, it's a t- yeah, it's terribly tragic. But the resiliency of that man has been uh, tremendous. You know, mm-hmm. it's like. You know, I think he, he, his, his wife, when he was, you know, they had four young, very young children. Mm-hmm. She, uh, she committed suicide right. and, um, he, you know, very tragic story. And it's like he, how he was able to reconnect with himself and overcome that, that part of his life and, and find something that was not only just like get through it himself, but you know, commit so deeply to a process that then is going to impact other people. So turning something tragic into something that he's going to give to others um, in in the way of a, a method of, of basically, you know, healing yourself and becoming um, better connected with who you are, like, that's, 
Yeah. You know, that that's resilience and and that's and, 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 and often that's, in the face of ridicule as well. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, people yeah. were laughing at him for so many years, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and I connected with that story a little bit, not not in the same uh, not to the same degree that he <laughs> experienced tragedy, but you know, it's like I I had a a difficult phase in my life um, that I was kind of lost and I needed to I needed to find some, you know, some some answers or, or to get connected with a path that felt like it was going to heal me. And then in turn, that became my career, you know, in mm. fitness. And uh, yeah, it, it you know, be, being resilient in that way and how I see it in him is is being committed to something that, like you said, you're, he's getting ridiculed um, and he's, you know, in the face of adversity, not only in, in his life, but in you know, how people are viewing his, his practices, uh, he stayed committed to it, you know, and I think that that's kind of how I felt for some years. Um, and now it's, I'm I'm grateful for having stayed the course in my life. Absolutely. What is your idea of perfect happiness? Yeah. Wake up, nice, calm morning. Just a little time to myself, you know, get to, you know, snuggle with my wife when she wakes up a little bit later, you know, hopefully a baby's in that, in that picture pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, go and train and connect with some friends and uh, eat some great food and have really relaxed, you know, evening with uh, <laughs> like nothing nothing fancy but maybe some some reality tv or something like that that's just a happy happy day (laughs) so you're living your idea of perfect happiness that's pretty that's pretty happy that's right that's right what is the opposite of fear yeah i heard the quote i mean i was listening to something on tim ferris the other day but i think it was oprah that really nailed it like years ago it's like it's only two there's only two emotions in in life there's fear and love and uh yeah so i i've subscribed to that for a long time that was one of the one of the teachings from my early spiritual teacher when i was at the ashram was you know you're either thinking in fear or you're thinking in love so the, the i've thought that for a long time yeah that's great have you ever read gates of fire by stephen pressfield Mm-mm. oh put that on your list too okay um, i got a little i got a little note that yeah. i have on my on my desktop that i <laughs> i write down yeah that's it's it's a good one but um your answer reminded me of that book um please finish this sentence love is blank oh love is openness Accepting, um, yeah, uh, flow. Okay. You might have a hard time answering this one. Okay. What recurring trait do you notice about yourself that makes you angry? They don't make me, they don't make me angry, recurring traits, um, you know, I don't, I have, I may have like set out to, to make a change in myself. Mm. And, um, 
I just see recurring traits as, you know, it's just a really, if you're open and listening, it's like, these are, these are telling you something about you deeper <laughs> as a person. Like, there's a reason why these things recur in your life. And uh, if you truly want to change them, if I want to change one of these recurring traits and it keeps recurring, then that means I just haven't really found the right avenue and I haven't really connected with what's the deeper underlying part of me that is leading to that trait. So, you know, um, pr maybe prior to having like some, you know, a better self-awareness, uh, those might have really bothered me a lot. But now, I mean, I'm, you know, in the work that my, you know, I do in my relationships, you know, with my wife or my relationship to fitness or work, um, when I see things happening over and over again that, you know, I'm maybe trying to change about myself or I would like to change, it's, it's actually really you know, powerful for me to, to be able to even notice that. Um, and it's when people aren't self-aware, I think, that they'll get frustrated with like, oh, I did that again, I did that again, I'm doing that again. And it's like, but yeah, you're, you're doing it again. Why are you doing it again? Like, right. let's, go, let's go another layer. Mm. When do you experience sadness? Um. Yeah, sadness for me is when I'm just not, I, I can just feel I'm not living in alignment with like what, what I'm supposed to be doing. Something is pulling me in a direction that I didn't choose. Um, then I'm just kind of, you know, doing something because it is what other people want. That's, that's when I definitely get the saddest. And tell us about the last time you were genuinely surprised. This conversation. Okay. Honestly, when we started talking about ashram and uh, yeah, just I was, I was surprised at how how the conversation went and how it took me back to a time in my life that I just haven't haven't really connected with in like a deep way in a long time. So pleasantly surprised by the way that started. Oh, great! Glad to hear it. Mm -hmm. What word or action incites a feeling of disgust in you? Um, oh, word or action? Yeah. Uh, I find myself getting pretty disgusted when when I see when I see people <laughs> like claiming to be health professional, like health professionals, and and I, they're just so clearly not motivated by trying to get people like more well right. and I don't have a problem with somebody you know teaching about the you know misinformation um, in the health and fitness world like they're like I really think I'm helping somebody by telling them that they should be you know uh, that they should eat more whole grains and, and no fat like right. that's fine like if they're genuinely motivated by you know helping the next person to get better and that's what they believe like but it's when it's like, I'm going to sell this because it's going to be awesome for me. And it, I know it does nothing for this other person like that. Just Yeah. Do you ever feel as though you're, you're almost auditioning for people when you're trying to help them sift through this misinformation? 
Yeah, I, I mean that that happens all the time, and uh, but I, I I get that you know, I I I'm fortunate enough at this point to um, you know have a a a, a solid enough foundation of like a, a coaching business that you know when if somebody comes in and, and and they clearly don't seem like they're ready to you know let go of their preconceived notions about what they're supposed to get and they are trying to basically see if I'm the right fit for them. I mean, I want to, I want people to find out if I'm the right fit for them, but right. if, if it's, if it gets to a point where it's clear that they're not open to, you know, letting me be the, the expert or, or let, letting me help them, then, um, yeah, I'm, I'm fine letting that go being like, you know, we're not, I don't think we're right for each other. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I, this, um, so yeah, and and, uh, and I always try and keep that in mind. It's like if I cert- and also when I seek out pr- help from other professionals, like I try and you know I'm I might have I might be educated, I might have a lot of knowledge, but I'm go I go to somebody because I I need help with something. I didn't yes. seek them out to go and you know rattle off my own opinions about things. Yeah. What is your definition of the spirit? Of the spirit. Yeah. Or of spirit, whatever, whatever that um, yeah inspires in you. It's like what's inside of you that's like truest to you that's just trying to be expressed through your physical body, and that, that's like we're just our goals are just to uh, maybe in life or to try and get let that shine through, and whatever is blocking it and whatever's in the way, um, whether it's thoughts that are in the way or if it's. You know, your physical body isn't healthy enough to let that shine through. We have to get it healthy again. But, yeah, that's kind of what, what I see it as. And what happens to us when our bodies die? <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my wife and I were having this conversation the other day. We were talking about our bodies, both spiritual and physical bodies, as like energy. Spiritual energy just does also get released into the into the into the world and you know in, into our atmosphere into the universe and and those get get captured into other beings so i, I think there is this kind of like you know we we'll call it reincarnation but there's this like cycle of energy that happens and it's probably happened for eternity while there's been physical and spiritual beings on the planet that's a wonderful answer name one event in your life that you can most closely describe as a miracle yeah, maybe leaving medical school. You know, I didn't, I didn't ever hear somebody leaving that profession or medical school to pursue something that they love to do when they realized that they weren't maybe happy or fulfilled by, by that. Um, right. It was a lot of, yeah, it was a lot of the opposite. It was just, no, you, you do this and it's hard for everybody and you'll get through it and, you know, on the other side, you get to do some great things and you get this security and you get, you know, potentially a great a job and salary. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, I was, I was in the, I was in that machine. I was cranking away in that, in that wheel and, uh, doing good. And, you know, by a lot of metrics, but something was just not right. Something wasn't really right for me. And, you know, maybe my spirit wasn't really shining through in the way I thought it was supposed to. So, uh, but yeah, it was a powerful, powerful machine that I was a part of. And so I'm, I think it was kind of, it was meant to happen, but it was, it felt like a miracle that I was able to 
you know, really listen to what I needed and, and make the choice to go a different path. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a, a, a very big and lonely decision that you made. It was, it was extremely lonely. That was yeah. probably a, that's a great way to describe it. That was uh, one of the, the scariest moments of my life was being so alone with those fears and knowing that I was, I was making a huge decision that I was the only one that was going to be accountable to it. Like nobody else I could point the finger and be like, well, you, you told me I was okay. Or you said it was, I should do it. It was like, no, this one's on you, you know? So I put, I put that on my clients a lot to answer the big questions. Like, no, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what to do right now. Like that, that would take away something that is so important to you and to who you are. And, and that would be like taking, <laughs> taking away your power, um, and I'm not, that's not what I'm about. Mm. When do you feel most connected with creation? Yeah, when I'm speaking with people, like, uh, you know, engaging in this type of, you know, what we're talking about today on this uh, interview. And, you know, when I consult with clients over Skype and um, when I'm really present with people and, and we're letting kind of our, our thoughts and our feelings kind of unfold into words and, and sometimes not words, just being with people like there's a, there's creating a lot of, there's a lot of energy that gets created in that, in those moments. And, um, yeah, I could probably have said just as easily fitness, you know, creating something through my training and through, through that. But yeah, I think just being present with people and, um, I think is, is probably the way to, I feel most connected with that. And for you, what is the thing that's the closest resemblance to absolute truth? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Just that, like, when 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 the training hurts so bad that you're making noises that you were not intentionally making. Like, there's there's weight training where you're, like, grunting and you're, like, doing it on purpose. And then there's, like, you know, the final moments of, like, a, you know, an open workout where you're just letting out like warrior cries, like it's like tears and snot. And it's like, <laughs> that is just, that's it right there. You know, go row yeah. a, go row a 2k. Like, like yeah. that's truth. <laughs> Why do you feel you were put on this earth? Oh man. I, I mean, I, I do think I'm, um, I think going through some of, uh, you know, the, the journey that I've been on, the journey that I will continue to, to be on as a, as an athlete and as a coach and just as a, f- a friend and a mentor to people, um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of learning by doing and, and then sharing that, those experiences with others to help elevate their experience on this planet and let their spirit shine through is, uh, you know, something that matters to me, you know, I think people can see it in the way I share my fitness experience on social media. You know, it's, uh, like I, I, I show people what I do because I think there's value in sharing my experience with others so that they can, you know, maybe get some added value from it and benefit from it in their own life. Um, you know, I like to talk about uh, things that I've experienced not only as an athlete, but as a coach and as a person, 
you know, my, my time spent traveling. I've talked a lot about my, my, my experience through going through medical school and leaving medical school. And that's resonated with a lot of, a lot of people, uh, students, medical students have reached out to me and felt like they're in a similar position and they, they're questioning their choices. And, um, so yeah, it's, man. yeah, it's, it's, it's for me, it's, I think I, my, I, I started a blog a bunch of years ago, marcusphilly.com and it was like honesty, commitment, persistence, sharing makes the journey and sharing makes the journey was like really what I continue to feel like this is, um, you know, what binds together my athletic pursuits, my, you know, my, my relationships, my coaching, um, you know, the, the supplement company we have, like, you know, we're, we're sharing information, we're sharing, uh, about this experience so that, and in a world where we're more and more connected through, you know, the internet and, um, yeah, technology, it's, uh, it has just been a great opportunity for me to feel like I'm, I'm actually sharing and giving back to people. And I, uh, yeah, it's gives, it gives me a lot of purpose. It makes me feel a lot of uh, meaning in what I do every day. That's awesome, man. It really sounds like you're living it, Marcus, you know, yep. like, like, um, you know, not the proverbial live in the dream, but sounds like, sounds like you're living an intentional life. And, um, you know, that's, it's pretty great. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah. And, and as much as I, f I feel that so much of the time, um, you know, I'm, I'm challenged every day and, uh, you know, I question it sometimes too. And, um, and it's a, it's a big, it's a, as for as much as I'm giving, I'm also getting a lot from people that, uh, support my journey, you know, from people like yourself reaching out and, and wanting to, to, to talk and to connect on these topics. Um, it really fills me up. So, you know, I, I, I definitely see it as this even exchange where, I surround myself with uh, with people and, and I try and, you know, stay connected with the community at large because I need it too. I need it too to, to, to stay, you know, committed and have the resolve to follow the path that I've, I, uh, I'm on and that I want to continue to stay on. Fantastic, man. Well, that's our questionnaire. Um, you know, I feel as though I could just stay on the line with you all day, man. Oh, man. But, um, but thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, quick, uh, give us a rundown. I know that you're really, um, you're really active on Instagram, but how can the audience connect with you? Um, give, us some, give us some links, man. Sure, yeah. You can certainly follow along um, on Instagram, uh, just Marcus Philly. And, um, and that's really my main portal for putting out information and about my training and what's going on. Uh, and I have a website, marcusphilly.com, which, uh, has some interesting features to it. M mainly the, the blog that is, if you go back, it's it, for, for 2013, my first competitive season as an individual athlete in CrossFit, I documented every single training day for the whole year. So there's a, pretty extensive uh you know that's gold it's i mean <laughs> yeah. i put a lot of time into that and it yeah. used to be the way that my coach uh, i communicated my results to my coach so i was very um detailed uh, mm -hmm. so and there's lots of training videos in there and links to youtube on it so um that was kind of that's fun to go and look back at some of the stuff i was doing a few years ago and then um yeah my supplement company uh, revive rx 
uh, revive-rx.com is um, a company that I'm it's really close to me and uh, I've been connected with for since we started it about four years ago and I brought on my family members as partners my brother and my cousin and uh, we're proud of what we what we've created um, and the quality of our supplements and you know we're looking to continue to grow and expand our product line and and our reach and, and keep giving people uh, honest you know honest supplements that were created by people within the community and and that you know somebody who's conscious about their health can um, you know take with confidence so you can check out those all those different places what uh, what products are are you are you putting out right now in your supplement line yeah we have two we have two whey based products so we have a um, you know just a, a, a whey protein and a post-workout uh, high carb uh, slash whey protein um, blend and so it's a uh, it's a two to one carb to protein uh, recover formula. Uh, both of them have some uh, L-glutamine in each serving, and and they're just really um, stripped down to the bare essentials. Uh, they don't have um, you know they're they're sweetened with stevia. So um, you know if you're if you're in the camp of looking for something that's not sweetened with sucralose, we definitely have a product that's for you. And we uh, are super proud of the. Uh, flavor profile of what we have. I mean, I've been taking supplements since I was pretty young and, <laughs> and we work with one of the uh, premier manufacturers in, in the country to, Great. to deliver something that's pretty delicious. So uh, Excellent. I'm, I'm sure Revival Rex uh, people out there will attest to that. That's great. There's nothing worse than than getting a really good supplement that tastes like total garbage. <laughs> yeah. So that's great. Um, anything else? Any events that you have coming up right now? Anything else that's important to you that we should know about? Um, that that we should check out or or tune into? Um. No, I mean, I'll be having a baby at some point in February, and. Uh, yeah, man. Good luck. <laughs> I may go dark on social media for a couple weeks, but uh, it's not because I don't want to. <laughs> it's not because I don't love everybody. It's just because I'm... <laughs> I'm sure we'll understand. Yeah. Uh, before you go, Marcus, any parting words for the audience? Any um, uh, morsel of inspiration? Something that, if you can, um, if you could share. Talked a lot about sharing today, so if yeah. you can share one thing briefly. Sure. Before we sign off, what is it? Um, you know, the, the, the direction this conversation took was really special. And I think it, it actually is something that uh, when I think back on connecting with like, you know, why did I choose to, to take some of these like avenues in my life? And um, I think that's something that I, I hope listeners think about is, you know, why are you choosing, especially, especially around fitness, since I, I know this is, we're, we're fitness focused here a lot, um, a lot of fitness listeners is, you know, why are you doing fitness? And it, it, it's so easy, I think, these days to just get caught up in, um, well, I, I do fitness because I want to compete or, you know, I have to compete if I want to do fitness as much as I do it. And uh, I will say that I trained hard and lots of hours before I ever knew that there was something that was called CrossFit and I loved it for what it did for me and the person that it made me and the things that it, it offered me in my life and CrossFit was beautiful when it came into my life and it still is and I feel fortunate about it um, as, a, as a place to go and express some of that fitness um, but without competition 
you know, and without a CrossFit Games and without the local throwdown, you know, training is beautiful. And, you know, I hope people connect with that and think about that sometimes and remember that it is okay to train hard even if you're not going to ever compete in something. And it is encouraged and you can grow as a person and as a, as a being from dedicating to something and committing and sacrificing some things um, even without the, you know, end game of, you know, arriving at the regionals podium or something like that. And with that, Marcus Philly, it has been a pleasure. I'm going to say goodbye. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. It's been really great talking with you. All right, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Marcus Philly committed to following his instincts. He relishes his uniqueness. He sees confrontation as a teaching and has journeyed to understand who he is and has now come to a place of sharing. He's come to see that after discomfort, there is an awakening. This is why I feel Marcus Philly is an artist. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Fitness. If you did, please subscribe, write a review. Also, go to www.theartoffitnesspodcast.com. Scroll down and do all of your Amazon shopping through the Art of Fitness portal. It would really help support. Thanks a lot. Oh,